Pop Culture Affidavit, Episode 10, A Look Back at Bayside High. And welcome again to Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that takes a look at anything and everything random in the world of popular culture. My name is Tom Panneries. I really don't have a lot of housekeeping or introductions around uh, this time around. This is where I usually would read emails, but I don't have any. If you'd like to email me some feedback on any of the episodes I have done, you can do that at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com, or you can go to Facebook, Facebook slash Tom com slash pop culture affidavit uh like the page leave me uh something and maybe i'll actually have some material for this part of the show uh so what i'm going to do is i'm going to go ahead and, and work, get right into our uh, topic it has been as of this week which is the week of may 20th through 25th in terms of a five-day week. 2013, 20 years since the graduation episode of one of the most influential shows of all time, and that is Saved by the Bell. When I wake up in the morning and the alarm gets out of warning, I don't think I'll ever make it on time. By the time I grab my books and I give myself a look, I'm at the corner just in time to see the bus fly by. It's alright, cause I'm safe out of hell If the teacher pops a test, I know I'm in a mess And my dog ate all my homework last night Riding low on my chair, she won't know that I'm there If I can hand it in tomorrow, it'll be alright It's alright, cause I'm safe out of hell Yeah, you didn't see that coming. Okay, you did when I played the punked up version of the theme song at the beginning, but I don't think you saw me talking about how it was the most influential show of the last 20 years, but um, I'm, that's what I'm going to talk about over the course of this uh, this hour or so that I'm going to be doing this podcast. I'm going to give you some history on the show. I'm going to give you a little bit of a biographical sketch, um, at least as far as my memories of watching the show back when I was in junior high and high school. Um, I will take a look at one of my favorite academic looks at the show. Uh, somebody else looking at the show kind of give a little bit of my own kind of academic look at the show. 
talk about what my f- top five favorite episodes are, and then I will take an in-depth look at Graduation, the final episode featuring Saved by the Bell's original cast, which aired on May 22, 1993, and was appropriately the graduation episode for those characters. And, of course, <laughs> I will wrap things up by talking about the aftermath or legacy of the show. Uh, But before I do that, I want to take a quick break, offer up a trailer, and I'll be right back with a little bit of the history of Saved by the Bell. Hey, Kids Comics! Hey, Michael! Yeah? We need to do a new promo. A new one? A new one! Why? Because we've moved. Moved? Moved! We've moved to a new place. We still read comics. We do, we still talk about comics. Because you can't do a comic book podcast unless you read and talk about comics, because that's kind of stupid. But now, we have a new episode, still available every Thursday, but at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hey Kids Comics! So remember, Hey Kids Comics has moved to twotruefreaks.libson.com, still every Thursday. That'll do, won't it? There's no way of knowing What lies ahead or where the road is going So if our heart is locked It won't wait for life to start When I'm with you somehow I know tomorrow's here and Saved by the Bell actually began as a different show. It began as a show called Good Morning, Miss Bliss on the Disney Channel, a theme music to which you just heard, which took us out of the break. Uh, That show was basically a sitcom vehicle for an actress named Haley Mills. She had been a child actress for Disney back in the 1960s in movies like Pollyanna and the original version of The Parent Trap. Um, And the 80s was like her working with Disney to kind of revive her career a little bit, um, do some more adult things, and basically in some cases playing either the parent or or mentor role in uh, working with with kids, child actors, what have you. Right before Good Morning Miss Bliss premiered on the Disney Channel, uh, Mills starred in The Parent Trap 2, which was aired in the Disney Sunday movie uh, that was on ABC at the time. Uh, this was a this show ran for a while. I think it was eventually renamed the Wonderful World of Disney, kind of harking back to a to a show that used to be on years before. And uh, they would air a TV made for TV movie just about once a week. Um, other ones included uh, the Patrick Dempsey one that I mentioned a couple of episodes in Can't Buy Me Love, and I can't remember the name of it, and I mentioned it in the thing. Uh, it was called 
He played a guy with epilepsy who was going to go undergo some huge brain surgery. Another one, uh, one that I actually might cover one time, was the girl who spelled freedom about uh, a Cambodian immigrant who came to the United States and wins a spelling bee or or something. It's a lot more complicated than that sounds, but I, I remember that, and I remember having to watch that a lot in elementary school. Anyway, um, Good Morning, Miss Bliss, as a show on the Disney Channel, only lasted for 13 episodes. At the time, Disney was a premium channel, meaning that you actually had to pay extra for it, whereas channels such as uh, MTV, VH1, and what have you were part of the basic cable package. Now I believe Disney actually is part of the basic cable package. And as a result, the show wasn't widely seen. It also wasn't widely watched by the channel's actual subscribers. Um, but eventually... NBC would pick it up and retool it to Saved by the Bell. But funny enough, the show had actually been a failed pilot for NBC before the Disney Channel picked it up. The premise was that Mills uh, of the show, of Good Morning Miss Bliss, was that Mills played Miss Carrie Bliss, a teacher at John F. Kennedy Junior High School in Indianapolis. She was the teacher. She's the teacher that everyone turned to with their problems. Uh, there were three other adults in the show. Another teacher, Miss Palladino. Palladrino? I can't read my own handwriting. Paladrino, I think that says. Um, a custodian named Milo and the principal of the school, Mr. Rich Belding. Richie Belding. Uh, Dick. The students were a little more memorable as characters. You had Mikey and Nikki, who played friend characters to three people who had actually become a part of Saved by the Bell's core cast. Lisa Turtle, Samuel Screech Powers, and Zach Morris. Now, I'll go into a description of these three when I get into the actual show, say, by the bell. So I'll just say that they were not as developed um, as they would become on, say, by the bell. And the show itself wasn't what developed in terms of what the show, say, by the bell would. Now, I never actually watched Good Morning, Miss Bliss uh, when it was on in that incarnation. I didn't have cable uh, when I was younger, something, a point I'd beaten into the ground many, many, many times. But most people who have watched Saved by the Bell over the years in syndication know the Good Morning Miss Bliss show because uh, in order to get 13 more episodes for syndication, what the producers of Saved by the Bell did was took all of Good Morning Miss Bliss and repackaged it as Saved by the Bell the junior high years. Uh, each of the syndicated episodes would begin with Zach introducing the audience to some memory about, you know, hey, when I was in junior high, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then there would be the Saved by the Bell theme song with the credits featuring the specific actors in uh, those episodes. And the music was redone as Saved by the Bell music. So, it, again, it was a way to squeeze a little bit more syndication money out of out of affiliates. They're not terrible, or at least they, from what I remember, they weren't particularly great either. I remember being pretty bored by this version of the show and not watching that block of episodes when they'd run, because it's kind of like when you would watch the Facts of Life in reruns, and there's that first season when there's like seven or eight girls in the show, one of whom is like Molly Ringwald, uh, and Nancy McKeon's not there, and because because Joe doesn't show up until the beginning of the second season, and then you get Joe, Blair, Natalie, and Tootie, as opposed to this sort of overwhelming cast. Uh, and, and that's kind of what Good Morning Miss Bliss 
is to Save by the Bell because the show was a flop on the Disney Channel. They canceled it. NBC turned around and said, all right, we're going to pick it up. They retool it and they turn it into Save by the Bell. But the interesting thing about this is that, like I said, it was originally a failed pilot. The late Brandon Tartikoff was looking for a show about a teacher and students. And I'm speculating here, but maybe he was trying to fill the void left by the facts of life. That particular show went off the air in 88. And if you recall, its final episode was a backdoor pilot for a spinoff featuring Blair as the head of the Eastland School with a new group of kids, among them Mayan Bialik, Seth Green, and Juliette Lewis. And the actual facts of the other Facts of Life girls, like, kind of made appearances in the final episodes. It was, it was, uh, it wasn't a very, very good final episode. And and I may be wrong here. It may just be a coincidence. But Miss Bliss kind of has that feel like we want to fill that that hole, and and it just didn't work out. But like I said, the show itself was not very exciting, and NBC knew that. So when they retooled it. They had Peter Engel and his production company change the setting to California, brighten the color palette, jazz up the opening so I guess it was more appealing to kids, especially kids in the late 80s and early 90s, and, and, and presented like that. Now, why are they presenting to kids? Well, this is the other thing. Not only was this a kids sitcom, it was an experiment of sorts because Saved by the Bell aired on Saturday mornings. Now, I was born in 1977, and any kid around my age from who, who grew up in the 80s knows what happened every Saturday morning, knows how important Saturday morning cartoons were to our childhoods. And I think if we were to rank the big three networks in terms of their Saturday morning cartoons, NBC would usually finish first, or in the top two, depending on what was being aired that year. Because you think about what they had. The Smurfs, Punky Brewster, Shirt Tales, The Snorks, Kid Video, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Mr. T, and of course, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Oh, and they had one to grow on. But really, by the late 1980s, Saturday morning cartoons were starting to flag, especially because toy line-based syndicated series were way more popular. And again, I might be talking out of my ass here, but... The audience, too, the audience that had grown up with Saturday morning cartoons was getting older. And that's one of the hardest things to do when you have a kind of a running kids programming thing. PBS has had this problem for for years, where eventually your audience outgrows the show. So are you going to follow them, or are you going to grab the new audience? And it seems that in recent, the last decade or two, PBS has decided that they're not going to, they're going to, when the kids outgrow Elmo and then outgrow some of the slightly older kids stuff, on PBS, they'll just wait around until they're adults and want to watch Masterpiece Theater. Uh, in the early 90s, they had Degrassi reruns. They had a couple of shows aimed at tweens and teens, but they I don't think they just weren't as successful as, say, what Nickelodeon and MTV were doing. Uh, Steve Rogers, Steve J. Rogers and I had a, had a really good conversation about this a couple weeks ago on Facebook or maybe it might have been last week on Facebook, about why PBS never really was able to capture that zeitgeist. Because, I don't know, something was there's something... It's a ripe audience, and, and, and they could have done something really cool. But that's beside the point. Perhaps I, uh, I'll do an episode or a blog entry about that. Anyway, Tartikoff 
um, who was the NBC president, who was responsible for turning that network from a last place network back in the early 80s into this kind of ratings juggernaut through the late 80s into the early 90s. He's the one who actually came up with the title. Engel's original title was When the Bell Rings. And he turned around and he said, no, how about Saved by the Bell? So the show premiered on August 20th, 1989. But right before that, the Baysiders were the centerpiece of the NBC Saturday morning preview show, which was called NBC's Who Shrank Saturday Mornings. Probably a playoff on, on, a, on a very f- popular movie at the time, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You probably remember, th- remember this. Or you remember shows like it. For a few years, each of the networks would run a primetime special where they would show clips of that year's upcoming Saturday morning cartoons. And since Saved by the Bell was the big show that year, the cast of the show found themselves like shrunk inside a TV, walking among the shows that NBC was advertising for Saturday morning. In retrospect, I mean... The specials, they're kind of ridiculous that you'd actually have a special that is basically a 30-minute commercial for Saturday morning cartoon lineups. But I have to tell you, being 10, 11, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, I lived for these when I was a kid. I got to stay up late. I got to watch them. And that meant I was going to see new cartoons come a week or so. In fact, I want to say that this particular special aired either the week before or the night before the first Saturday morning. I want to say it aired on like August 19th, but but I, I can't verify that or I'm not going to do the research. And yeah, I was starting junior high in 1989. So I was a little old for cartoons, especially what you had on Saturday morning. But my sister was watching it. And Saved by the Bell, though, kind of right up my alley at that point. I have posted in the show notes the Saturday morning cartoon special to the blog because it's an interesting artifact of of a time gone by. They don't really do these very much anymore. And it's got this very odd Sherman Hemsley appearance too. But but it's it's worth kind of at least watching a little bit of. So the show began itself in August 89. It ran in its original version until May 23rd, 1993. This included 86 episodes and a TV movie titled Saved by the Bell Hawaiian Style. Seasons 1 and 2 all take place in and around Bayside High School, the gang's hangout, the diner known as The Max, which was clearly modeled after Arnold's from Happy Days because it was owned by a guy named Max. He was played by Ed Alonzo, and he'd be this recurring character, at least through season 1, who occasionally did magic and stuff. The third season of the show began with a school episode, but it also featured six episodes where the gang was working at the Malibu Sands Beach Club, run by Mr. Carosi, played by Ernie Sabella, who's best known probably for playing uh, Pumbaa in The Lion King. Uh, his daughter, Stacy, was played by Leah Remini, uh, who went on to The King of Queens and, and other and movies and television shows. I actually recognized her at the time because she had been on the Who's the Boss spinoff Cover Girls a couple of years earlier. Yeah, I've seen Cover Girls. Anyway, this was in 1991, uh, the Malibu Sands episodes were, and they're a little bit better than the junior high ones but not as good as the regular um, school ones. And they were clearly produced to capitalize on the success that Beverly Hills 90210 was having with its summer seasons, where Brandon was working at the Beverly Hills Beach Club, and I think he 
involved in a gambling problem or some shit. I don't know. Uh, in fact, base the Bayside's had very similar work uniforms to what Brandon and the 90210 gang were, were wearing, except that for some reason, whenever they shot 90210, everything kind of looked sunny and nice. But if you ever watch an episode of, of the Malibu Sands when they were at, when they're actually on the beach. Everything looks insanely overcast. I never understand that. Maybe it's just the camera. I, I don't know. But um, what surprised me in doing my research for this show and getting to the Malibu Sands episodes was that there were only six episodes. Because it always seemed that there were way more than that. I mean, seven if you count the clip show that they ran later in that season to say, hey... It's Zach, and here's what I remember about the summer. Probably, again, trying to squeeze that last bit for an order for syndication, because I want to say like 100 episodes is kind of the magic number for syndication. Um, and I'm not sure exactly when syndication actually started this show, but I know that in 1992 or so, WPIX in New York was running two episodes in the afternoon, uh, right around 5 o'clock after the Disney afternoon went off the air, and then before a rerun of whatever they were running at 6, which sometimes would be 90210, sometimes would be classic Star Trek, sometimes would be Next Generation, sometimes it would be uh, like Full House Family Matters, that sort of crap. It depended on the season and the year. And then, of course, those of you who had cable know that when the show got into syndication, it was run on TBS for years, and I believe USA also picked it up at one point as well. The airing of episodes can be confusing, by the way, especially when you're talking about the Malibu Sand stuff, because by the time the Saved by the Bell went into its third season, NBC was airing them for a complete hour, so that meant two episodes a week. The first episode would be the Malibu Sands one, and then the second one would be a Bayside High one, but in all honesty, continuity not exactly the strong point, especially in its final season when you get the Tory episodes. Now, the history behind the Tory episodes of Saved by the Bell is pretty easy to recap. The show was usually popular. NBC wanted to make more money, especially when it came to syndication, because it's where a lot of the money is. And so they ordered 10 more episodes. Tiffany Amber Thiessen and Elizabeth Berkeley, who had finished their commitment as the characters of Kelly and Jesse didn't want to be on the show anymore. They didn't want to sign new contracts to do more episodes. So they weren't in the episodes, and a new character named Tori, played by Leanna Creel, was introduced. Tori was a leather jacket wearing, like, Joe from the Facts of Life type of character, whom Zack and Slater both pursued, and then Zack hated, but eventually Zack fell for, because that's what happens, or something. I don't know. But she kind of fits in with everybody almost right away and becomes one of the Bayside gang or whatever. And she's she's a bone of contention for continuity-conscious viewers, especially if um, they were watching it first run because her episodes and the Kelly and Jesse episodes would always air the same day. So she's in one and then she's not in, in another and, and Kelly's in one and Kelly's not in another and Zach's dating Kelly and he's dating Jesse, whatever. And all of a sudden, not at all. And then, there she Tori doesn't show up in the graduation episode at all. I'll no prize this later, but I will say that the real world explanation is that they shot the graduation episode before they even ordered any of the Tori episodes, and they just kind of put it in the can for later, and then they ran all the Tories. 
And that's a brief history of the show, or at least the history of the show up until the episode that I'm going to be talking about. Now, I want to give a little bit of a brief history of the characters, a description of the characters. Um, although, I don't really need to do a whole heck of a lot with this. I think if you're around my age, you know the show, and you know the characters. But, for the sake of being complete, let's go ahead. First, we have Zach Morris, played by Mark Paul Gossler. He is the central character and well, the best way I can describe him is Ferris Bueller Goes California. His best friend is Samuel Screech Powers, played by Dustin Diamond, who's this show's resident nerd, and who spends much of the show either getting being Zach's sidekick and pining for Lisa Turtle, the vapid shopaholic fashion plate, played by Lark Voorhees. These three were the only kids to be kept from the Good Morning Miss Bliss cast, um, along with Dennis Haskins, who played Principal Richard Belding. And he's really the only major adult figure on the show, and he served two purposes himself. A, give Zach a challenge, and B, burst into any situation so that he could say, Hey, 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 what is going on here? For Saved by the Bell, three characters were added to the main cast. Apparently, Nikki and Mikey just didn't make the cut. There was A.C. Slater, played by Mario Lopez. He was Bayside's all-around greatest athlete. He was an army brat who was initially one of Zach's biggest rivals, but then one of his best friends and sometimes a rival. I don't know. They got along. Elizabeth Berkeley played Jesse Spano a ball-busting feminist brainiac who was Slater's girlfriend and Zach's next-door neighbor. Rounding all of them out was the object of Zach's affection and sheer 80s hotness, Kelly Kapowski, played by Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Kelly Kapowski. Moment of silence, please. And... I know that's not much of a character rundown. There are other characters who show up from time to time. Tori Spelling played Screech's girlfriend at one point, and what have you. But And like I said, you have Tori, played by Leanna Creel, but I kind of described her. But like I said a little earlier, if you're listening to this, you know the show pretty well. You don't really need to uh, for me to give you like a very, very in-depth look at the characters. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break, um, and when I get back... I'm actually going to get a little academic before I get into some of my favorite stuff about Saved by the Bell. So, uh, stick around. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship out. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fantasy. 
Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays. Available the first Monday of every month at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. We would be honored if you would join us. Thinking of doing a personal history of the show, but in all honesty, it, it, it's interesting. It's not that interesting. I mean, I first heard of that show on that NBC Saturday morning preview special, and I watched it here and there on Saturdays if I was up. I watched it in syndication for the most part, first on PIX, after school, and later on in the mornings on TBS. I've seen every episode multiple times, mainly because the show is so ubiquitous at one point that it became kind of unavoidable. In fact, I believe that was a running joke in an episode of Mad About You at one point. And uh, beyond that, just kind of having some jokes about it and what have you, um, the only other thing is that uh, I actually have a little bit of the show's merchandise. My sister, as a gag gift for Christmas one year, gave me Saved by the Bell, the board game, as well as um, a CD she burned, which was the Saved by the Bell soundtrack and the California Dreams soundtrack. Uh, and I've, uh, I'll be playing a couple of pieces from the Saved by the Bell uh, soundtrack throughout this episode. Uh, it's cheesy. In fact, she called the mix Ultimate Cheese. So, uh, so props to my sister for being that creative. Um, but yeah, like I said, that's about it. I don't think anybody has an epic Saved by the Bell origin story. It was on. You ended up watching it. And sometimes you got sucked in. There you go. Say by the bell, though, um, it's disposable because it's disposable television, and and I, I really, really, but I, but I really, really appreciate it, and, and for a lot of different reasons, aside from the fact that it's nostalgia for an era where I grew up. Um, another reason is Chuck Klosterman. One of my favorite books on popular culture is Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs by Chuck Klosterman. It's a collection of essays that covers so much of what I've watched, listened to, or written about myself. 
One of the essays in the book uh, is called Being Zach Morris, and it's his deconstruction of Saved by the Bell. He goes pretty deep. Uh, He breaks the show down, even offers an explanation of what he refers to as the Tory paradox. I'll I'll point that out in a second. Uh, But he, he talks about how the show was so popular. Just like I said, it was just always on, and it was just easy to watch. There's nothing complex about an episode of Saved by the Bell, and he even points out that the few times the episodes were complex, the drunk driving episode, for instance, it's still disposable. Um, He also points out that it was one of those shows when he was in college that people would kind of get together and watch, kind of like how my generation of friends did with Friends and ER and what have you. We'd all gather in a dorm room and sit around and watch Save they why we watch these shows and he would watch Save by the Bell. And he mentions he mentions this and he's got a very funny story that kinda comes along with this. Um he says On the surface Save by the Bell most undoubtedly must undoubtedly seem like everything one would expect from a dreadful show directed at children, which is what it was. But that's not how it was consumed by its audience. There was a stunning recalibration of the classic suspension of disbelief versus aesthetic distance relationship in Saved by the Bell, and it may have accidentally altered reality, at least in some brief moments. Here's what I mean. In 1993, Saved by the Bell was shown four times a day. If I recall correctly, two episodes were on the USA Network from 4 to 5 Central, and then two more were on from 5.05 to 6.05 on TBS. It's possible I have these backward, but the order doesn't matter. The bottom line is that I sometimes watch this show 20 times a week. So did my neighbor, a dude named, I think, Joel, who I think was studying to become a pilot. Sometimes I would walk walk over to Joel's place and watch Saved by the Bell with him, and he was the type of affable stoic who never spoke. He was one of those quiet guys who would offer you a beer when you walked into his apartment, and then he'd silently drink by himself, regardless of whether you joined him or not. Honestly, we never became friends. We sort of had this mute parasitic relationship through Saved by the Bell, and I will always remember the singular significant conversation we had. We were watching an episode where Belding was blackmailing Zack into dating his niece, and Joel suddenly got real incredulous and asked, Oh, come on! Who the fuck has that kind of relationship with our high school principal? Of all the things that could have caused Joel to bristle, I remain fascinated that this Oddly specific observation. I mean, Bayside High was a school where students made money by selling a Girls of Bayside calendar, and it was a school where oil was discovered under a football team's goalposts. This was a school where Zach had the ability to call time out and stop time in order to narrate what was going on with the plot. There is never a single moment in the Saved by the Bell series that reflects any kind of concrete authenticity. You'd think Zach's unconventional relationship with an authority figure would be the least of Joel's concerns. However, this was the only complaint he ever lodged against by the Saved by the Bell aesthetic, and that's very telling. And he goes on, he goes on to talk about, um, again, what made this show so watchable and what made it so interesting, and, and of course the sort of time when uh, there was a very special episode here and there. His theory on Tory was, and he goes through the origin of the Tory episodes, his theory on Tory is basically that she just wasn't there that day. Whenever we were watching Zach's attempt to scam on Tory, we were assumed... We were asked to assume that Kelly and Jesse were in the lunchroom or at the mall or sick, and it was just a coincidence that nobody ever mentioned them. On paper, like this seems idiotic, borderline of salt, and above all, unreal. And then he kind of goes into the, 
to the fact that sometimes this actually works because your memories tend to betray you. He says that you tend to think when you're in high school and college that you, all your friends were there with you. It's like, everybody's there, man. And all the memories is everybody was there. And it's not all the case. There's always that one person who might not be there when everybody was there and what have you. I, I'm, I'm part of that. I, you know, I'm part of a group of friends who gets together from college who, gets, who got together and did a lot more stuff that I wasn't included on for various reasons. Um, and if I had any beef toward it, I'm over it now. But you do get in your head sometimes that you you all had these experiences together. So he's saying that's kind of like that. Like people remember that Zach and Kelly and Slater and Jesse and Lisa were, and Screech were all together all the time. But it, in reality, sometimes Tori was there and, and Kelly was in school the next day. You know, so so that's his thing and. On a level, it makes sense. I mean, he goes really deep in his essay, and he he really does deconstruct Saved by the Bell. And if you have not read Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, go and get it. It is a great book. It is a great book about popular culture. There's essays on The Empire Strikes Back and Say Anything and and, and this Guns N' Roses tribute band and some, some great, great stuff. Um... And if I wanted to go all pseudo-intellectual, I could say that this show could be an example of satire of the cool kids in high school. I mean, I know the reason there was all of one classroom at Bayside High and every other student and teacher seemed like a bad stereotype um, and had probably had more to do with budget and comedy or attempted comedy than anything. But you could also say that this shows, as my voice cracks, how the in-crowd is so self-absorbed that they don't notice anyone but themselves. Um, you know, every room in the school might as well be the same. All the teachers and the other students fit into whatever they box they choose to put them in. And you get special treatment for the principal because she's so fucking popular. But! I choose to watch the show for what it is and not, quote-unquote, ironically, because it's saved by the bell. I mean, as much as Klosterman uh, deconstructs it and, and gives kind of a, an intellectual pursuit of it, it's saved by the bell. <laughs> and in all honesty, except for the Tory paradox, because while Klosterman, um, Klosterman uh, offers a pretty good rec- explanation for that, except for the Tory paradox, that is. Because while Klosterman offers a perfectly rational explanation, I have one that makes sense. Or more sense. Yeah, maybe Tori was there and Kelly wasn't there that day. But you know what? I think that the Tori episodes actually take place on an alternate Earth. If you read comics, and I'm sure that some of you guys who are listening to this do... The concept of a parallel alternate Earth is easy to understand. So let's say that the non-Tory Bayside is Earth 1, and on that Earth, Zach started dating Kelly. They eventually went to college, they got married, they lived happily ever after. But Bayside on Earth 2 is much darker. That's because Kelly isn't really Kelly. Kelly's real name on Earth 2 is Valerie Malone, and she was originally from Buffalo. Valerie was younger. She was abused by her father, and she killed him. She covered it up by making it look like a suicide, and she lived with the secret for a while. But when her mother began to get suspicious, Valerie fled to California. She changed her name to Kelly. 
and was taken in by the Kapowskis. Things worked out for a while, but then a private investigator who was hired by Valerie's mother to find her daughter started snooping around Bayside. Kelly quickly figured out what was going on and called her mom in Buffalo, telling her that she was okay and that she would be in touch and maybe come home, but when she was ready. Feeling at peace with this, Valerie's mom called the private investigator to tell him that he was no longer needed and that she would pay him in full. But he told her that it was all a ruse and he was actually a hitman hired by her ex-husband's family to get revenge for his murder and Valerie's mother phone call just revealed her daughter's location as well as her identity. Valerie's mother called her daughter and told her everything. Kelly then went to Jesse, who hid her out for a couple of days while she called up her stepbrother in New York for some advice. Slater, she said, wouldn't understand, and Zach was a petty con artist at best, but her stepbrother really knew what to do. She was right. He flew, to, he flew out to LAX in the first flight he could get, and they decided to trap the hitman. They lured him to the fields behind Bayside, murdered him, and buried the body. Jesse's brother then covered his tracks and headed back to New York, where he disappeared into the underworld. Jesse went on the run and eventually found herself in Vegas, using the pseudonym Nomi Malone. And Kelly decided to hide in plain sight. She contacted her mother and they arranged for her to come live with family friends, the Walshes, in their house in Beverly Hills after she got her GED back in Buffalo. The girls really shouldn't have had the chance to say goodbye to the guys, but they did anyway, sneaking into their respective bedrooms before they split. Zack and Slater were sworn to secrecy. Having Tori move to Bayside helped provide a distraction that worked as a nice ruse. Eventually, by the way, Screech figured it out and he got rich off the whole thing because he kept tabs on both girls and blackmailed them, forcing them to pay him hush money. That is, until a phone, another phone call was placed to Jesse's stepbrother in New York and Screech mysteriously disappeared. That's my theory on the Tory episodes anyway. I don't know. Maybe Klosterman's right. They just weren't at school that day. When I get back, I'm going to give you guys my top five episodes.
we're back. So there are 86 episodes of Saved by the Bell, 103 if you count the Good Morning Miss Bliss episodes and the four that make up Saved by the Bell Hawaiian style. It was actually surprisingly hard to find five I found memorable. There were quite a few. I narrowed it down to five, although I have to mention two that were honorable mentions. The first is drinking and driving. Uh, The gang goes to a party, gets drunk, and uh, crashes Lisa's mom's Mercedes. Then they try to cover it up, and being that it's a very special episode, Zach's scheming doesn't work, and it's one of the few times we see their parents, and one of the few times where the show actually tried to be doing something fairly realistic, but like Klosterman kind of says in his essay, it's it's still trite and stupid and disposable, and nobody really remembers. It's like, you're trying to tell me drinking and driving is bad? Duh. I don't need an episode about it, especially since nobody actually dies. They kind of get in a fender bender. Um... And the other one that I like is the fight. Uh, this is the first episode of the last season. Uh, a new transfer student comes, and Zach and Slater start competing with her uh, for her. And it gets to the point where they, the two of them, actually have a fist fight in the hallway at school. Uh, it's a for Saved by the Bell. It's an epic fight. It's it's like punches thrown, wrestling going on. Belding gets in the middle as Jupe gets destroyed. It's it's some. It's some good shit, man. But my top five, the actual top five, starts with a first season episode, and that's called Fatal Distraction. Uh, This is the one where Zach wants to ask out Kelly. So in order to figure out if she'll go out with him, he bugs Jesse's room during the girls' sleepover. The girls find out and decide to turn the tables by making up some story about how Kelly gets headaches and winds up... She's a psychopath as a result, and... uh, it's memorable because this is one of those times where Zach's Ferris Bueller crap backfires and instead of some dumb lesson learned, his friends actually get back at him. Plus, it helps establish that early character dynamic. Yeah, I know, it's Saved by the Bell, but I swear it's the other characters that make Zach Morris likable. Because he's not supposed to be likable. I mean, he just he's, he's, a, he's kind of a little shit. But... You know, the people around him, it's like, okay, you can kind of like this guy as a result. Number four is actually a two-parter. It's called Homeless for the Holidays. This is the one where Zach falls for a girl at the mall and finds out she's homeless. Her dad had gotten laid off, and they're living in his car and at the mall. So the gang learns a lesson about homelessness. They de-screwed some store owner, and Zach's family actually takes in the guy and his daughter. Then they're never mentioned again. No, never. I mean, at least on my so-called life, there was a follow-up to when the chases took in Ricky Vasquez, and that was an ongoing storyline. Here, like, you're led to believe that, like, they took them in, and they're helping them out, and then all of a sudden, like, the next episode airs, and they're gone. So what, like... (laughs) I know it's it's a sitcom plot, and you don't have to worry about anything, but, like, you know, wow. What did, like, Zach nail her and then forget about her? I mean, that's a long way to go for to get laid, Zach. You know, that's beyond sure thing level of, of a long way to go. Number three is No Hope with Dope. A season three episode where the hot young actor of the day, some guy named Johnny Dakota, 
who I guess is supposed to be a Keanu Reeves, Johnny Depp type, it was the early 90s, comes to Bayside to shoot some anti-drug commercial, and of course the gang's going to be involved. He invites them afterwards to a party, and they discover that (gasps) he smokes pot! In the end, they shoot the PSA with Brandon Tartikoff because he's the head of NBC and NBC has the show. Oh, and he's like the best friend of Richie Belding from back in the day. To which I say bullshit. Because first of all, uh, the actor, Johnny Dakota, would have had a few rails of coke laying out at that party instead of a few doobies. And second, there's this scene where Kelly is left all alone at the party like... Everyone else gets all just say no Nancy Reagan about it and leaves. And he's all holding the roach up to her and she's like, got this, I don't know if I should smoke this look. And she eventually says no, she didn't take a hit or whatever. and whatever. But come on. Don't give me that. Don't even give me that. I mean... It's the episode is memorable because everybody remembers this fucking episode. It's just it's one of a long lines of ridiculous anti-drug episodes from the eighties. Uh, you know, Punky Brewster, Different Strokes, The Facts of Light. All these shows, um, Family Ties had an anti-drug episode, and this was Saved by the Bells. What well, was one of Saved by the Bells? I'll get to the other one in a little bit. And you know, it's just. It's another thing. It's like that that PSA of... You are right. I learned it by watching you. Uh, you never took these things seriously back when we were... And I was you know, 12, 13 years old. You never took these things seriously. They were ridiculous. You made fun of them. Whether you did drugs or not. So... Coming in at number two, Rockumentary. That's right, the Zack Attack episode. So if you're unfamiliar with this one, it's a season three episode, and it's when the gang starts a garage band, and we see them discovered by a talent agent who happens to just be jogging by. Casey Kasem provides narration for the entire half an hour, narrating us through the band's history. Zack winds up being the breakout star, and this alienates the rest of the band, so he goes solo. He becomes basically Vanilla Ice at one point. It's kind of funny to see him dressed up all Vanilla Ice stuff, referring to himself as, like, I look like Mr. Madonna. Um, And uh, everybody else goes on to these kind of increasingly ridiculous careers. Slater becomes like this daredevil, evil Knievel, drag racing type, I believe, and he ends up being in a very, very bad car accident. This gets all of them together, uh, and they reunite, and they reconcile, and the band goes on a reunion tour. But back in the real world, the present, our real present, or whatever it is, discovering the band actually never happens. It essentially serves, and the episode essentially serves two purposes. First, it's obviously a test episode to see if audiences will respond to a concept of a teenage garage band, and that would eventually become California Dreams. Second, it's actually an exercise in self-parody and a little bit of f- farce thrown in. Yeah, the jokes are dumb and all, but again, this is a kid's show for Saturday morning. The cast and the episode seem, though, to have no problem buying into and enjoying the episode's ridiculousness. So that makes it worth watching as well, especially when they show the future and the future careers they go off and do. I believe at one point Kelly becomes a nun. I mean, 
they're obviously trying to have a little fun with it. Finally, the best episode of this show, bar none, is entitled Jesse's Song. It's a season two episode, and it's this episode where Jesse, Kelly, and Lisa form a singing group, and Zach decides he's going to be their manager and promoter, you know, as you do. And in addition to being in the group, Jesse is under a lot of pressure as an honor student. She decides then to start take, taking caffeine pills. That's right. As if there are any doubt of your mind, the greatest episode of Saved by the Bell would be the one where Jesse gets addicted to caffeine pills. And we all know where this episode ends up. Pills? You mean you really are taking drugs? I need them. Jesse, give me those. I need them back. I have to sing. Jesse, you can't sing tonight. Yes, I can. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Jesse, Jesse. And what can I say about this scene? Except it is must-watch. It is the greatest scene in television history, people. You come across this episode, it's like coming into the Karate Kid right as the tournament again begins, or it's like coming into Carrie right before Sissy Spacek loses her shit at the prom. I mean, it is something you cannot turn off. You commit right away, and you go all the way to the end where she loses her crap. It is It is. Just so awesome, this. And I, so awesome. And I seriously, I dare you to challenge me on that. I dare you to not watch this episode all the way through if you come across it. Because it's just that ridiculous. And I have nothing more to say about it beyond that. Because it's just that awesome. And when I get back, I'm going to talk about the graduation episode of Saved by the Bell. In the decade of the 1930s, even the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, was not spared of the ravages of the Great Depression. In a time of fear and confusion, a character emerged that would entertain and inspire millions of children and adults alike. He began not as flesh and blood, but as a simple line drawing. His comic book adventures thrilled millions around the world. The magic of radio gave to his name a breathless signature and sound. Then with television came a whole new generation to idolize his exploits. In the 70s, the world believed a man could fly. In the 80s, he was reborn in the comics. and the 90s, saw his death, rebirth, and marriage. In the 21st century, he returned to the big screen and saw his origin changed and retold on several occasions. Through the decades, he has gone by many names. The Man of Tomorrow. The Last Son of Krypton. The Man of Steel. His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound.
My name is Michael Bailey, and I host an internet radio show called Views from the Long Box. Superman is my favorite character of all time, and in 2013, he is turning 75. Because of this, a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the Man of Steel in a series I'm calling Superman, Superman at 75, the celebration, the celebration of a legend. legend. I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics, to the movies, to the television series, and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75. The celebration of a legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Long Box. Views from the Long Box is a Fortress of Bailey-Tude production. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and for this series, over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Seems like only yesterday we started But soon we'll put away our books and pens We'll go on with our lives once we have parted But how can we say farewell to our friends? The double days, the parties and the dancing Cramming for a bitter games, the max and the romances. Soon Bayside will be just a memory. Our four years here have all become unraveled. And so our high school story finally We're back again. Graduation aired in primetime on May 22nd, 1993. And like I said, it was the final episode shot with Tiffany Amber Thiessen and Elizabeth Berkeley. It was also the final episode aired that featured the show's original cast. As we begin, finals are over and the going and the gang is at the max. Kelly is overly sentimental. Jesse is obsessed with being the valedictorian. Zach then says he has to go see Belding and, and he leaves. When he goes to see Belding, he discovers that because he dropped a fine arts elective back in his sophomore year, he can't graduate high school, and he will have to take summer school. Zach is understandably upset. And it just so happens, of course, that the, the, the girls are performing in a dance recital called Swan Pond. So, in order to get Zach to get that credit he needs, Zach and Slater bribe a nerd to fake an injury and then... Zach gets Belding to let him in the class and take his part. Because as Zach claims, well, he's been taking dance for years. So 
Belding, quote unquote, convinces Zach to dance in the recital and sign and said with the carrot of I'll give you that credit. And of course Zach knows nothing about dance and he falls all over his face in the dance recital. Belding then has to tell Screech that he's valedictorian, beating out Jesse by a tenth of a point. Screech refuses to be valedictorian and Jesse is made valedictorian. Lisa, who is in the office when this happens, can't believe this, and she confronts Screech, who says he did it for Jesse because she's always wanted to do this, and he makes Lisa keep it a secret. Then Belding has some more bad news. All the nerds in the play come down with the flu, and Zack is screwed. Except that he says he can get replacements. And those replacements wind up, well, being Slater and Screech. And Swan Pond goes on. It's a comedy of errors that ends up with Screech in a chicken costume laying an egg on stage. Yeah. After it's all over, the gang meets in the hallway that night and laughs about the whole recital, and Lisa says, wow, we'll have to do this again sometime. To which I'm like, really? And to which Kelly is like, they can't. Because it's their last night at Bayside. Zack blows it off. He says, oh, I'm out of here. Don't worry. And then he leaves. Slater then gives this sort of, this place is my home speech. Uh, Screech starts crying about how he'll miss everything. Starts to recite something like Goodnight Moon. And then he and then Slater and Kelly kind of help him off. Um, after Lisa kind of says, you know, bye Screech and gives, her, gives him a kiss on the cheek. And after Slater and Jesse and Screech leave, Sorry, it's later Kelly and Screech leave. Jesse starts giving Lisa some shit about the fact that she just kind of got all sentimental and kissed Screech on the cheek. Because after all, Screech has just not, nothing has done nothing but you know harass her for the last four or five seasons, the last four years. Lisa defends him and then accidentally spills the beans to Jesse about the valedictorian thing. We cut then to graduation. At graduation, Belding says his goodbyes in a speech, and then he hands the mic over to Jesse, who then tells the truth about the valedictorianship and calls Screech up to the mic. Screech bumbles and geeks his way through a few words, and then he gets real. And when he's keeping it real, he talks about how much Zach means to him. He then calls Zach up to the podium, and Zach gives a speech about how much he'll miss his friends. Diplomas are handed out, with the Bayside Six, of course, being the last diplomas. Belding tells Lisa she's looking good, in sort of a you're a fashion plate way, not in a creepy, I want to, you know, do something inappropriate with you that way. He says he's proud of Jesse, especially for what she did. He gives a comically sobbing Kelly a tissue. He crushes Screech's diploma when Screech shakes hands with him, using the wrong hand. And he finally gets that cool handshake right with A.C. Slater. And then we come to Zach. They hug. And for the last time, Zach Boris breaks the fourth wall and says, Can you believe it? I actually graduated high school. And they all throw their caps. Now, I actually watched this episode in preparation uh, the entire series is available for streaming on Netflix if you'd like to do it. I don't know if the college years is. It might be. But this episode was. Um, I considered doing a commentary for it, but I didn't have the time to throw the commentary together. So you get my summary. Uh, 
Um, and I actually kind of like it. I mean, it's a perfect, silly, unrealistic, fun, formulaic, say, by the bell finale <laughs> type of plot that works for a finale. It makes no sense, except at Bayside. I mean, I can seriously see that Zach would get be a credit short because he was kind of like blowing off school for four years. But of course, this is when there's like a dance recital happening at the last minute, and of course they'll let him in, and of course, yeah, you know, it just it again, it's Saved by the Bell. There's, I will say though, there's some heart in the episode. The Jesse Screech thing, uh, while it winds up just basically being this long setup for Zach to give a graduation speech. Uh, this shows how these people, though, that shows how they're friends and how they actually care for one about another. It gives Screech a little bit more depth than he ever usually had. And that scene in the hallway at night, even though there are some silly moments in it, it's actually pretty nicely done. I mean, it's a way to get all six of them alone in the school in that main hall set one last time. But if you've ever been in a school at night, it always has a weird feel to it. And this has that weird feel to it. Um, and it's like because it's at night and because it's in school, it's somehow deeper than it would be during the day. I can't explain it, but they captured that feeling very, very well. And when Kelly says guys, this is our last night at Bayside, it really is that sort of moment of recognition when you have when you are a senior and the reality of graduation actually sets in. I mean, Zach reacts, Zach's reaction is, makes sense too. I remember my senior year, especially the, the last kind of couple of weeks there, being this mix of feeling sentimental about stuff and being happy to move on. And, and as dumb as some of the scene is... Because Screech does this sort of, you know, goodbye everything, I'm going to cry, I don't know what I'm... Um, it's one of the better written scenes in the entire series. And granted, that's probably complete crap, but it is giving the cast a goodbye moment, moment before the fans get the goodbye moment with the graduation. And that graduation is ridiculous. I mean, why does Zach Morris have to be the person who gets the last diploma and, you know... Why does he get to get the speech? I mean, it's just because it's saved by the bell and because he's the star of the show. And in all honesty, we knew he was going to get, and we knew we were going to get the cap tossing scene. And in the very least, they did the whole "I'm going to break the fourth wall" thing, which is how the the show started. Anyway, way back in early uh, in '89, and that's really all we would ever hear of Zach Slater, Kelly, Jesse, Lisa, and Screech. Kind of. When I come back, after the last break, I'm going to talk about the legacy of Saved by the Bell.
So, Saved by the Bell's legacy is twofold. First, there is the immediate, and that's two spin-offs. The first was literally immediate because the pilot for Saved by the Bell, the college years, aired right after that graduation episode. It had Zack and Slater and Screech attending the same college because they missed one another. No, really, that's why Zack left Yale and Slater decided to ditch a wrestling scholarship at Iowa. They missed one another. So, the pilot introduced the three new the three of them living together in a dorm and there were three new girls as well as an RA played by former NFL player Bob Golick and eventually there would be another adult character the Dean played by Holland Taylor and she was essentially the building character but she was kind of tougher supposed to be kind of him mixed in with Miss Musso from Parker Lewis Can't Lose when the show came back for the fall though the pro- the the producers tweaked things a little bit one of the girls was gone and Kelly ended up transferring to the college a little bit of a ways into the year. To be honest, it helped nothing. The show was watchable, was unwatchable, and that was canceled by the end of that season. They had about 19 episodes. The only storyline of note was that Kelly, who had ditched the 80s hair and started dressing like it was 1993, by the way, started hooking up with one of her professors, and that made Zach insanely jealous, and he spent the better part of the second half of that 19-episode season trying to win her back. He succeeded, and in the two-part finale, which aired on February 8, 1994, he proposed to Kelly, and then Lisa came to the college as a special guest star to help with the wedding plans. In the end, the two of them decided to elope to Vegas, and that's where we would get the TV movie special finale, Saved by the Bell, Wedding in Vegas which aired on October 7th, 1994. It's also the last part of the syndication package, being split into four episodes. And the plot, well, basically, Zach's parents don't approve, Kelly's parents can't pay for the wedding, they decide to elope, and they decide the guys and girls challenge each other to get to Vegas first. And along the way, the guys get lost, and there's a jewel heist or something? Uh, Hijinks ensue? I don't know... We end with the wedding. It's really what's important. And the, the entire series itself wraps up with Zach and Kelly's wedding and a reunion of the original six. Uh, Jesse, of all people, shows up just as the happy couple starts to walk down the aisle. I'm not kidding. Like she runs. She's like, wait for me, wait for me. And she shows up. And I'm also not kidding when I say if you ever actually watch Saved by the Bell, the call, the wedding in Vegas, and you see Elizabeth Berkley scene at the end, she looks like she just walked off the set of Showgirls. Like, seriously looks right, like she just came off the set of Showgirls. And they live happily ever after. The other spinoff was Saved by the Bell, The New Class. Uh, this was an attempt to keep this whole concept going in a next-gen sort of way, but instead of giving... Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation they kind of I don't know I don't want to say it was coy in Vance because Tori's kind of the coy in Vance episodes it's like After Mash or Joey or you know what have you because we get these poor man stand-ins for all the characters there was there was even a, a screech type of character named Weasel in the first season uh, you know it, it wasn't well liked by fans of the actual original show but believe it or not, it ran longer than the original incarnation of Saved by the Bell. It actually went off the air in 2000 uh, in its seventh season. 
Uh, the most notable thing about this show was that the cast of ch- kids changed repeatedly throughout the seven seasons. Screech was brought back to be Belding's assistant at one point, and he stayed on until the end. I watched three episodes? I remember watching the pilot, and if I watched any others, it was when I was when I was in high school, it's because I was bored off my ass on a Saturday morning. I, I don't really remember. I, I remember seeing either first run or in a rerun an episode titled Goodbye Bayside where the school was supposed to be knocked down but Lisa Slater and Zach came back and saved it somehow I'm not kidding when I say that I I don't know the plot but something like that and I also I did see the finale in 2000 um, because I saw it like mentioned I think it was mentioned like Entertainment Weekly in their TV column that it was finally going off the air and I'm a sucker for a Caesar series finale, especially something as long running as like a, as as they say by the bell. So I, I either watched it firsthand or I taped it. It's a graduation episode. It ends up with everyone going their separate ways, and um, it was a little more than a decade after I uh, I first saw the Saturday morning cartoon thing. I was in my parents' living room watching the Saturday morning cartoon thing and being introduced to Saved by the Bell, and then I was 22 in an apartment watching that final goodbye of a group I didn't recognize. And it's like having to attend or walking into a high school years and years later with everybody you know and their siblings have graduated and now you're just an old person the high school used to go to. So there's that. The show has another legacy though. Uh, the other legacy of the show is its impact on television as a whole. If you take this Beverly Hills 90210 and Clarissa explains it all, you have the template for a majority of the shows for teens and tweens for the last 15 or 20 years. Channel surfing, occasionally coming across Teen Nick or some of the Disney Channel. I can't help but think of Saved by the Bell when I see the characters' wacky hijinks in the sets of... I don't think iCarly's or Victorious are on anymore, but those shows, um, Marvin Marvin, I'm trying to think of what else might be on, uh, but you know these sorts of shows with sort of their silly plots and bright color palettes and attractive-looking teenage actors who might be multi-talented and what have you. I mean... Some of the hangout places on these shows might as well be the max. Of course, like I said, it takes its cue from Arnold's. But, and some of the characters might as well be the Bayside Six. And, again, it, it sounds ridiculous to say that because it makes this show out to be bigger than it was, but Engel, Peter Engel found a formula, and he found a formula that worked. And even NBC would exploit it. Sooner after the show premiered, they'd start to phase out their Saturday morning cartoons and eventually uh, would clone Saved by the Bell, starting with California Dreams and then doing other shows like Running the Halls and Hang Time and what have you uh, as part of their lineup. And it worked. It worked for the point to the point where they ran that TNBC block for a good 10 years before finally kind of giving up the ghost and showing the Today Show almost all morning. Uh so 
the current generation of teenagers has a lot to owe to to Zach and Kelly and Slater and Jesse and Lisa and Screech because if they're watching and these shows on the Disney Channel and Nick, Teen Nick and what have you, this is where a lot of them are, are, are getting their inspiration. So on some level, it is one of the most influential shows of the last 20 years. And even if it isn't, it made an impact on my generation, whether we liked it or not. And that's it. I mean, I'm looking at recording, I'm looking at the hour and five mark. It's probably closer to the hour and 15 mark uh, after editing and musical cues and trailers. And I think that's enough of Saved by the Bell. Uh... Like I said, you can watch the entire show on Netflix. You really can't find much on Hulu or YouTube. I, I tried, uh, but if you have Netflix, you can stream it if you're ever interested. It may pop up on cable every once in a while. I know that it's not as rerun as it used to be. Uh, and I would just check it out just for the sheer ridiculousness of it. Um, and, but the, but that is it for my look back at Bayside. Uh, thanks for coming along. Next time, I'm going for a music-oriented episode that delves deep into the early 90s once again with some grunge, some pop, and some very interesting uh, first few CDs that I own. So come back in about a month for that. And until then, I'm Tom Panneries. Thank you so much for listening. You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music, clips, or other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders. And as this podcast is intended for entertainment and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Clips, pictures, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit a blog where each week I take a look at a random thing in the world of popular culture and give my opinion as well as personal experience and memories I have with it, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback and other comments about this podcast can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness.